Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, following the truth wherever it leads, exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites, revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality, coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. Dr. Michael Sala stays with us, a pioneer in the development of exopolitics, the author of 12 books that include Kennedy's Last Stand, Galactic Diplomacy, and uh, his latest is Galactic Federations, Councils, and Secret Space Programs. This is book number seven in the uh, the Secret Space uh, series, and we are talking about the Galactic Federation. Um, we were talking earlier about that deal with the devil, I guess you could call it, that um, that Eisenhower made in 55 at Edward, at uh, Haldeman Air Force Base uh, to go in with essentially the uh, the Nazis and their base, their dark fleet in the Antarctic, New Schwabenland, and the, uh, the, the Dracos, and the, I believe he called it the Orion Syndicate. Um, so this is kind of, um, is this where also American foreign policy goes off the rails and we start to see uh, the CIA involved in coups all over the world, overthrowing a democratically elected leader in Iran, um, you know, um, Guatemala, you name it, uh, Allende in Chile is taken out by the, um, you know, by the, uh, the U.S. Um, intelligence apparatus. Is that, is there a, a relationship there between that deal that Eisenhower made with, um, in 55 at Haldeman and, and American foreign policy thereafter? Uh, there definitely is a connection. Alan Dulles was the CIA director, and he was the one running a lot of these covert programs. And he was also the guy that uh, made the deals, or he was the one that organized the negotiations between the U.S. and the the and the Germans out of Antarctica. And and Dulles's history with the with the Nazi Party goes back a long, long way. I mean, he actually he and his brother Alan Dulles. Uh, sorry, um, John Foster Dulles. So Alan Dulles and John Foster Dulles in 1933 actually travelled to Nazi Germany and met with Adolf Hitler. And they supported German industrialists who wanted to back Hitler to come to power because they thought that Hitler would help uh, Germany industrialise. And so the Dulles brothers had a long association with the Third Reich. And during the Second World War, uh, Alan Dulles actually headed the negotiations uh, between uh, Nazi Germany and uh, the uh, Allied powers, especially towards the end when the, the Germans were starting to negotiate their surrender. So it was Dulles that was involved in those negotiations. So Dulles was the natural go-between uh, between the Eisenhower administration and the Germans in Antarctica, and he was also the head of this CIA. Now, once the deals were made uh, that, the, that the U.S. would send enormous resources to Antarctica and also manpower uh, for, for the Germans there to build up their dark fleet, there needed to be an enormous amount of funding for that. How, how could you send billions and billions of dollars of funding to Antarctica without 
uh, Congress knowing about it. You certainly couldn't ask Congress for, you know, we, we want we want you to give us $50 billion uh, to to fund the Germans in Antarctica because that's that's the agreement we've reached with them. You could, you had to do it all off the books. So the way that the, the CIA did it was that they organised uh, international conflicts and coups and so forth to create cover so that they could raise enormous amounts of money, you know, whether it was uh, plundering the resources of these states that were toppled, uh, uh, organising uh, a massive drug trade. Uh, this is something the CIA has long used to, to raise enormous amounts of money, uh, you know, dump, pump and dump economics, uh, using uh, international co- uh, conflict as the means by which you could m- manipulate international markets however you wanted so this this is how the cia did it using these covert programs and they they could raise hundreds of billions of dollars a year without the us congress knowing about it and the thing is the us congress gave the cia the statutory power in 1949 under this under the cia act so the 1949 cia act Gave, gave the CIA the statutory authority to move funding from any government institution without recourse to law. I mean, that's actually law. They, they can actually do that. They're the only government agency that can siphon money from anywhere through any federal government entity, and the CIA can then funnel it into the Pentagon and the Pentagon has the statutory authority to receive money without any explanation. And, and this is actually the way in which the official black budget operates. There's an official black budget, which is actually, uh, and, and that's estimated today to be about $80 billion. And people who research uh, black budgets that move through Congress, uh, they they typically look at the official black budget, which is the money which is intended to go towards uh, funding the intelligence community without anyone being able to keep track of exactly how much the CIA is getting, how much the NSA is getting, how much the NRO is getting, and so forth. But that's the official black budget, which is about $80 billion a year today. But the unofficial black budget is in excess of a trillion dollars a year, one trillion. Now, currently, the, the Pentagon budget is about $800 billion. So this black budget, which was developed in the 1950s to fund all these covert programs, uh, has always exceeded the, the, the budget of the Pentagon. Right. It reminds me of um, Donald Rumsfeld just before 9-11 talking about, what was it, um, the missing, was did he say $2 trillion? $2.1 trillion on September 10. All right. So um, all of this money, all of the this black ops money, all of these resources being funneled into this this base in the Antarctic, they're sending, are they sending troops down there to go off planet to fight in wars? And, and do we have like receipts? Can we say, wait a minute, we can, we can show you where there are, you know, vast... Uh, amounts of you know troops being sent to the Antarctic, or how do we know? Well, Antarctica was more the industrial manufacturing hub, and they also they also conducted a lot of experiments down there with captive humans. But as far as the troops were concerned, 
they were sent off planet that called Lunar Operations Command. Um, and that was an old Nazi base on the moon that was uh, given over to the US uh, in the 1970s uh, as a result of these agreements, the troops, the troops to be trained, to, you know, the super soldiers. They, they would receive additional training. Uh, they would sign papers. Uh, they, they would have medical procedures done on them to enhance their abilities. Uh, they would have their minds wiped at the end of their tour of duty. And they, they would then be sent thousands and thousands of troops at a time. You know, they would even go to places like Mars, where they would serve alongside the Germans in uh, attacking the indigenous Martian civilizations that lived underground there. Um, and they would also go deep into space uh, to uh, serve in interstellar wars alongside the, the Germans who were the commanders. And the way it worked was that the, the Germans ran the Dark Fleet. So you know, we're talking the senior um, senior positions like the admirals and so forth, captains, they would be uh, Germans. But the mercenaries or the the auxiliary forces that they got from uh, the US or the French or the or the British, that they would they would form the kind of middle core of the officer class. So you'd you'd have majors, lieutenant colonels, uh, uh, commanders uh, operating at that level to kind of like take control of the troops, uh, because you would have thousands of Americans or British or French serving in this dark fleet and that that was that was the agreement and that they would serve alongside them um, and and that that was that was how they would get their advanced technology so that's been going on for for many decades now and uh and all of this was uh, was hidden uh because the funding for that was all siphoned through uh different government agencies and uh, in particular NASA uh, NASA was the the first one because NASA was the natural to to hide all of these secret activities in space. And so, what would happen would be that uh, you you would have like a a, a recruit at at uh, say the Marine Corps uh, boot camp. Uh, a, a young Marine uh, gets offered to take part in a, a, a covert secret space program. And so, this is a young guy, and he's gung ho. And it's like, yeah, you know. So, in addition to serving in the Marines for four years or whatever, that they would get to go into space. So that would start off. And so they would go and they would sign recruitment papers uh, with NASA. Now, why NASA? You have to ask yourself, why NASA? Well, NASA at the very beginning was run by the Germans, at least the Apollo program. Um, and that's actually fact. That's verifiable because uh, uh, the, the Kennedy Space Center was run by a former Nazi, um, Kurt Debus who was a general uh, in the Nazi SS. And then the person running the Marshall Space Flight Center, which was in control of the overall Apollo program in terms of resources and how they were to be spent and allocated and, and so forth, was uh, Dr. Werner von Braun, right. another Nazi. All brought over through Paperclip, yeah. right? Operation Paperclip. Exactly. So that was the cover. Operation Paperclip provided the cover for thousands of Germans to come in and occupy senior positions in the aerospace industry uh, so that they could then funnel all this money to the Germans in Antarctica. And in exchange, these German scientists uh, from Paperclip would then uh, 
receive all the scientific know-how from their compatriots in Antarctica and would then funnel that through to the uh, American uh, scientific institutions and corporations and so forth. So it was very uh, beneficial for the Germans in Antarctica. How did they account for all of these missing soldiers that went off planet? Um, if they were killed, I mean, they just they just disappeared. Didn't their families wonder what happened to them? Well, you know, those that were killed that didn't return, uh, they that could easily be ex- explained away as having done covert missions uh, for national security purposes, and and their families would receive a letter saying your son died uh, performing service to the United States military and he's a hero and so forth and so forth. Um, And and that's very easy to do for people that sign up to covert programs because these people, uh, these recruits, when they're approached, uh, and and I've spoken to people who have gone through this process. I mean, you, uh, I think you've, well, you know of Randy Kramer. There are are a number of, of others, Michael Gerloff, served with the U.S. Marine Corps. There have been many others that went through a very similar process, that they um, join uh, the Navy or the Marines or the Air Force, and at boot camp they get approached and they're asked, do you want to be part of a covert space program? And, you know, the high 95% say, yeah, no, yeah, for sure. And so they sign papers. So they've signed papers that they are now going to be performing uh, service for a covert program. So if they die during that program, then yes, the US military will s- send a letter saying that your son uh, performed covert missions for the military and uh, unfortunately died. And if they live and they come back, their memories are wiped. Um, how do, do they not, are they not wandering around wondering what happened to me the last three years or whatever? There should be thousands. Well, well, the, the technology was so good that they could wipe out the memories so that essentially you know, they join the military, uh, they get approached early on by an officer you know, in, in boot camp. If you're a, a young recruit and you get off, uh, approached by a, a, a captain or a major or something, they say, I want to talk to you. We've noticed you. And so you get approached and, and they say, well, do you want to sign? I mean, do, do, you, do you want to be part of this covert program? And they say, yes. Okay, so as soon as they say yes, then they're taken out of the room, taken off to uh, Lunar Operations Command where they sign the papers and so forth, and they perform their their, their service. And if they survive to the very end, 20 years, then, then they're kind of age regressed, and then their, their memories are wiped, and they're taken back in time to the precise moment when they joined. So essentially then what happens is that they, they then back in the office of that officer and the officer has just finished saying uh you know do you want to join will you be part of this and they say yes and then you know they 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 get up or or whatever and then they then they're kind of like back in the room and their memory is is hazy they're confused they're disoriented and and uh and the, and the captain will say to them, okay, uh, we're, we're done. You can go back to your squad and complete your training. So now they go back to their uh, boot camp and they complete their training. And, you know, because boot camp is so intense, it's the, it's the perfect cover because you can't, 
you know, mess around and think, oh man, well, I have these strange memories. And you know, you're you're at boot camp. You know, you've got to follow, you've got to do whatever is required for you for that three weeks, six weeks, whatever it is. So it's the perfect cover to you know recruit people, take them off planet, they do a 20 and back, and then they come back and then they go through boot camp, complete it. Um, and yeah, th- this is you know, there there are many people that have described a very similar process. So meanwhile, all this money resources going one way, what is the technology coming back and 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 into whose hands is it going? Well, um, the Air Force was the main beneficiary and the CIA and the National Reconnaissance Office. Uh, both separate both created separate space programs and the, the navy had, a, had had its own space program but as i mentioned earlier in the show the navy was always working with the galactic federation the navy never really worked with the uh with the Dracos or with the with the greys or the the orion alliance uh the navy monitored what was going on with the with the cia and the air force working with these groups. But the Navy was never part of those agreements. The Navy always worked worked with the Galactic Federation. So this was the way in which it was all set up. Um, But the Air Force and the CIA, the National Reconnaissance Office, they were the ones that benefited most from the secret agreements and the collaboration with the Draco Reptilians and the Orion Greys because they developed their own secret space programs using anti-gravity technologies, nuclear propulsion systems, torsion field physics, and so forth to propel their craft. So this craft like the TR-3B, that's that's uh, being kind of like the, um, the, the, the main kind of uh, showpiece of the Air Force secret space program uh, for, for many decades now, since the 1980s, that they had that. Whereas the Navy had... Uh, kilometer-sized space carriers, because because the Nordics or the Galactic Federation were more interested in helping the Navy get up to speed with the state-of-the-art um, interstellar spacecraft, whereas the Nor- whereas the the Draco Reptilians and the Orion Greys, you know, they weren't interested in the U.S. Air Force or the NRO or the CIA, kind of like um, having the best stuff. They were giving them second-hand or third-hand stuff. And so this was something that the Air Force guys uh, got, and they thought that they were the tip of the spear. But eventually they discovered, once once the, once they learned that the Navy had its own secret space program, yeah, they were furious because they thought they were the tip of the spear, that, but they realized that they were, in essence, really just a kind of planetary co- coast guard. And that, that really pissed them off. <laughs> well, wait a minute, you've got... so. It seems to me that there's, that's a recipe for civil war within the United States. You've got the Navy that are in league with the Galactic Federation, uh, who, uh, I mean, f- just in terms of shorthand, I'll call them the good guys. And then you've got the Air Force and the CIA in league with Draco's, the Orion Syndicate, let's call those you know, the black hats or the bad guys. How I mean, at some point they're going to be working at cross purposes, aren't they? Aren't the you know uh, the Galactic Federation um, not seeing eye to eye with the Orion Syndicate and the uh, the Dracos? Uh, so I mean, how did how did that not create uh, I don't know a perfect storm for like a civil war in the United States, or at least you know the Air Force attacking the Navy or what have you? 
Well, it, it was different functionalities. I mean, the, the Navy's Solar Warden program operated in deep space and they were working with the Galactic Federation, whereas the Air Force and the NRO, because they only ever got spacecraft that were capable of maybe flying to the moon, uh, maybe uh, missions to Mars, uh, but not. But they weren't genuinely interstellar craft that could travel to the ends of our solar system. I mean, the, the Air Force and the uh, CIA and the NRO, they were deliberately not given those technologies, but they were given technologies uh, so that they could kind of uh, monitor and control the the cislunar region, which is the region uh, around the Earth where where the Moon orbits. So you know anywhere around three hundred and fifty thousand kilometers outside of the Earth, that was pretty much under the control of the Air Force and the NRO and the CIA. They they monitored all. Um, and, and work closely with the dark fleet that also had bases on the moon. Um, now, the Navy, they monitored all of that and they kind of piggybacked on some of that, uh, but they were able to keep a separate program and they were very careful not to do anything to kind of lead to outright conflict with the dark fleet because uh, – you know that that would be detrimental to everyone because because the dark fleet didn't want a civil war in the U.S. because as far as they were concerned, uh, things were working fine for them. You know the, the United States was this industrial behemoth. Uh, it was it was capable of building vast numbers of spacecraft uh, using modern industrial production methods. And you didn't want to disrupt that by any kind of civil war. And the Navy, of course, didn't want to. Uh, create a civil war either because they knew that um, the Air Force was working and the CIA and the NRO was working with the Draco Reptilians because they wanted to kind of see what was going on. Uh, because very early on, uh, the Navy was put in charge of the the whole extraterrestrial phenomenon, uh, not, the, not, the, um, not the Air Force, because the Air Force was the junior service. It only came into existence in 1947. Uh, but the Navy because it had expertise on running integrated uh, 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 aircraft carrier groups it knew how to develop it knew how to develop space carrier groups okay, so yeah, the name pardon the interruption dr sal i've got to take another time out we'll come back and uh, discuss further don't go away Welcome back. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Back with Dr. Michael Sala. When did the United States go all in with the Federation? Well, the, the Navy has always been working with the Federation, um, and that has just grown over the decades. And I think a certain point was reached when it was decided that uh, uh, the, the, the Federation could, could like step up and, and take direct action against the Draco Reptilians and the Orion Collective. And, and that really happened um, probably in the last five years or so. That seems to have been when you know, there was this kind of a transition that uh, for, for various reasons, uh, we had reached this point where we could throw off this dark alliance or this dark fleet, that it wasn't wasn't necessary any, anymore that whatever whatever was being gained 
through that association. I, I think I think what the Navy was waiting for was was that we would reach a certain we would reach a certain point of technological uh, development as a as a planet where where now uh, we didn't need the dark alliance anymore and that they could be kind of like uh, thrown off. And I think that's that's really what happened. And that was something that uh, people within the kind of uh, military, covert military, agreed to, that, yeah, it was time to kind of throw off that that yoke and uh, begin working much more with the Galactic Federation to kind of move to this new stage where now there would be like a full disclosure of what, what is going on. And uh, and that that meant that the the planet needed to be unified, and so you know those groups that were bringing about this unity, creating havoc on the planet, they needed to be booted off. So that's that's when the uh, Galactic Federation began, like uh, taking a much more energetic approach to expelling the Draco reptilians and the others by destroying their underground bases and so forth. Um. Just quickly, the alien abduction phenomenon, was that part of the arrangement that the um, uh, Air Force and other branches had with the Orions and the Dracos? In, in, in exchange, they gave them permission, I guess, to collect genetic material or whatever they were doing in exchange for technology. Was that part of that agreement? That was part of the agreement with the Orions, because uh, uh, there's a group called the Orion Greys, and they 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 made their own separate agreements. So you had the the Germans in Antarctica working with the Draco reptilians, making agreements with uh, the Eisenhower administration. You, you also had these uh, Orion Greys making agreements with the Eisenhower administration, and they they were different because uh, the Orion Greys were much more into abduction and genetic experiments. So they wanted to abduct humans for conducting uh, these genetic experiments because that was something that they valued for uh, for a variety of reasons, whereas the, uh, the Draco and the Germans, they were more interested in mercenaries. They were more interested in super soldiers. So they were, really weren't into the whole abduction phenomenon. So you've got different alien groups there. So did then it would stand to reason then the with the... Um... Federation basically coming in and kicking out the Orions and the Dracos. Does that mean that as of five years ago, the at least the 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 negative type of alien abduction, if there's you know if there's a negative and a positive, but the negative type of alien abduction ended basically five years ago. Uh, I believe that it has uh, pretty much um, uh, ended. I mean, there, there's there's still some. Some groups that might be practicing these abductions, but as far as I'm aware, that those abduction experiences have, have pretty much concluded, uh, because the Orion Greys that were behind it have been forced to to leave our solar system for the time being. Uh, you know, now they might come back at some future stage, uh, but you know the, the legacy is that there's a lot of um, genetic hybrids now on Earth that are in some way sympathetic or connected with the Orion Greys. So th- so there's kind of like a fifth column now on Earth of uh, beings that uh, identify in critical ways 
with these off-world groups. Uh, David Jacobs, I think, has done a really good job in describing the abduction phenomenon and how it has now moved to this new phase where you have uh, these genetic hybrids that uh, that have reached the point now where large numbers of them can be on Earth, can infiltrate, and can actually uh, influence our progress as a civilization or our public policy uh, in important ways. So, so yes, so so it seems that you know these negative groups even though they've been forced to leave the planet, they still have in place a lot of kind of fifth columnists, a lot of assets that still continue to work with them. So, you know, I think this is the way they work, because as I understand it, uh, these groups, the Draco and the Orion Greys, they're masters at infiltration and subversion. So while their military have left, you know, they're, kind of espionage or their political operatives are here. Any idea how many uh, in this fifth column hybrids there are? Uh, well, you know, that's, I would have to defer to David Jacobs, but I think he he's made some estimates of, you know, there, there's, million, there's been millions of abductions in the United States alone. Um, now, as a consequence of that, uh, th- there have been these... Um, Hybrids created. Now, you know, I'm, I would be guessing as to how many are here, but I know that the Galactic Federation has several thousand on planet Earth. So I wouldn't be surprised if if you had kind of like, um, you know, maybe not as many as that, but certainly a significant number, maybe in the hundreds or a few thousand of these hybrids, of these grey extraterrestrial hybrids. And are they in communication, telepathic or otherwise, with... Uh, the Orions, and are they? I don't know. Are they conspiring to, to uh, to bring the the uh, the Orions and the Dracos back? Totally. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. Uh, the Orions and and the Draco have left the planet, uh, or left our solar system, but their assets, their genetic hybrids, are here. And uh, in many cases, uh, these hybrids, while they might have a, a human-looking body because their their genetics have been altered to incorporate the human genome. There's enough in there in terms of grey or reptilian genetics where a a grey or an Orion grey or a Draco can incarnate in that body. And so they are the ideal operatives because now they're in a human body um, and, and they can pass unnoticed in human society. But you actually have a Draco or a grey or Orion grey in a human body, and that they identify, I mean, they still communicate with or connect telepathically with their cousins um, in wherever they're hiding now, whether it's somewhere in our solar system or outside our solar system. Now that the the Galactic Federation is basically the dominant off-planet force, and the uh, the Dracos and the Orions are in uh, off-planet and in exile, why do we still have... I don't know. The, some pe- some people call them the Illuminati or whatever whatever sinister force is out there that is trying to institute some kind of a dystopian future for mankind. If you want to call it the Great Reset, the Davos crowd, and so forth, are they in allegiance with the Dracos and the Greys, or who are they? Well, they're the former minions of the Dracos and the Greys, and the, because they are 
known to have worked with these groups for a long time and did many terrible things to subvert human society. I mean, the you know the crimes that they've committed are kind of like unspeakable, a, a huge litany of things. Um, you know that many people can recite much better than I. But certainly, these are the the minions of of these groups. And once these groups decided to leave Earth, um, the the minions were left. They weren't taken. So they had everything to lose if all of this was exposed, if there was disclosure and the truth came out about while you know, agreements had been reached uh, to allow abductions of hundreds of thousands or even millions of people from all over the world, that you know that there were these horrible experimentation uh, projects happening all over the world where people were subjected to horrific abuses, you know, treated like lab rats and so forth. So the, these minions, uh, they they didn't want to give up power because they knew that they would basically be exposed and they would face a terrible um, consequence. So they're fighting as hard as they can to maintain as much power. But the, the, the big problem that they have is that their extraterrestrial allies that provided them the superior technology, the looking glass technology, the projections and the power to to kind of like outwit the uh, the the Earth or the positive guys, the Earth Alliance, if you call them that, or the White Hats, uh, you know, they're gone. They're, they've left the planet. And now it's the planet's surrounded by these more positive extraterrestrial groups. So the minions are fighting. They're, they're, this is their last stand, which is why things have become so dire because and it's so obvious because anyone looking at the policies of what has happened over the last two years is that, well, you know, you look at 2019, how many people believe uh, that there was a world elite trying to subjugate the population for uh, nefarious purposes? You know, probably you, you would have had the tinfoil hat category of maybe, maybe 1% of the population. Well, now maybe there's like 30%. You know, a majority of Republicans believe that uh yeah that there's a sinister deep state that you know stole the 2020 election that has done all these things in terms of the covert and the vaccines and all of that and that they are steering humanity down this very dark path so yeah that's now mainstream and and that that's only happened because these minions are desperate they they have no way of stopping this awakening that is happening now all right another time out awaits uh, back with more of uh, dr michael sala don't go away welcome back welcome back to richard serrett's strange planet Galactic Federations, Councils, and Secret Space Programs. That's the brand new one from Dr. Michael Sala, exopolitics.org. Again, how do we get a copy? Uh, you can go to Amazon.com or visit my website, exopolitics.org. When you listen to the Davos crowd and their, their version of the future, you know, this whole you'll own nothing and you'll be happy uh, and there'll be smart cities and stacked housing and everyone will be riding around on mono rails, no private cars. We're going to transition away from dirty fossil fuels or hydrocarbons into renewable energy. I mean, their version that they're offering up almost sounds like Star Trek. I mean, are they deceiving us or? Yes, it is a de- 
it is deception because really what they're doing is they're bringing about a transhumanist uh, agenda where they want to turn us into cyborgs where they can control every aspect of our lives you know you can you can imagine i mean look at look at what's happening now on social media or you know platforms like youtube twitter facebook where anyone that dissents from the mainstream narrative uh gets booted off uh, they get censored or they get deplatformed or you know they they can't make money through paypal or stripe uh, deplatforms them so you know that's what's happening now this is only this is only a taste of what would happen imagine if you if you had a, like a truly transhumanist agenda where people have implants that are put into them and that's the only way that you can you know use the subway or you can get on a plane or you could kind of like um, access your paycheck or whatever that you know you have to wear this this chip and then you know then you're totally controlled the, the people that control the um, technology they control you that they, they could at any point uh, deactivate that chip and make it impossible for you to buy food or travel or they can deplatform you from from anywhere where you're kind of spreading your information so you know that's where the new world order crowd wants to take us it's very far away from the kind of utopian star trek future that gene roddenberry was putting out through the star trek which which really was um acknowledging uh human freedom and and civil liberties and promoting a peaceful interaction between people not because you were superimposing an all kind of orwellian superstate through advanced technology that would monitor every thought every action that we do but it would be because people would be lifted out of poverty where their their basic human needs were satisfied and now it's only higher order needs like self actualization and self realization that become important for people do the um does the davos crowd have the looking glass technology definitely yeah they've they've had that uh they've had that for a long time i mean they were the they were probably some of the first ones to get their hands on that technology uh but the problem that they have is that you know that technology can only look ahead in terms of probabilities and and if if they're looking ahead and they, you know they they're trying to nurture a future reality that okay that they get to uh bring about this kind of like orwellian superstate where people are controlled by chips and the transhumanist agenda um is is the dominant way in which uh, humanity lives all across the planet you know that maybe that had a possibility of uh, 30% of coming into fruition uh but now because of everything they've done now it's got like uh, 15% and and this is this is the problem they have that everything they try now you know whether it's coming up with a new contrived a new false flag operation you know rather than enhancing uh, the possibility of their desired future outcome um it it diminishes that whereas the possibility of a future of star trek future because of all of these uh failed policies you know like they've you know like coming across with this you know like the with the the pandemic and the 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 pandemic you know that's awakened so many people doctors the medical community who you know before this happened you know, none of them would have been interested in this whole kind of star trek future and secret space programs and so forth now they're kind of like much more open to this stuff because that's you know their their logic takes them to this place well why is this being done 
So now that future possibility has gone from maybe, say, 40% to now 70%. And everything that the deep state does, you know, they look at their looking glass technology and say, well, let's try this. Let's, let's do... Well, to what affect the timeline, to alter the timeline. Yeah. Everything that they try to alter the timeline backfires. So, you know, this is, this is their dilemma. So even though they have looking glass technology, it only looks at future possibilities. And, and, and you can try and do something to bring that about. But if your future possibility only has a likelihood of like 30% or 20% of coming about and you do something to maybe strengthen that, you, you end up doing the opposite. A few minutes remain with Dr. Michael Sala, exopolitics.org, the website, Galactic Federations, Councils and Secret Space Programs. Once again, Dr. Sala, how do we get a copy? Uh, you can just go to exopolitics.org. That's my main website. Or just go to amazon.com and uh, type in my name and you should get uh, the whole Secret Space Program book series. So let's take a look at where this is all all heading. The Galactic Federation, they've chased off the the Dracos and the uh, the uh, Orion Syndicate, um, their foot soldiers, I guess, call them the elites of the Davos crowd. They have uh, the look, looking glass technology, but they're um, they're losing. They're getting increasingly desperate. Uh, their their vision of a sort of dystopian uh, future, not likely to ha- to happen, is more and more people awaken so where is this headed does this is there a timeline for the galactic federation to make themselves known uh you know what are the signposts along the way well that's a fascinating question uh there are a few people that are in contact with the galactic federation that are that are some of the sources that i've been interviewing and you know they've given me estimates that we're, we're talking 2023 is is going to be a, a, a really critical year for all of this breaking, that this information is not going to be uh, withheld for that much longer, that we're not really looking at too much time, I think, for some of this to start coming out. Now, they might begin with some announcement, like the James Webb Space Telescope has detected techno signatures and, you know, in some distant solar system. And, and that, uh, extraterrestrial life has been found in a distant solar system, which would really be a, a kind of like an ideal way of breaking it to people in a way that would not be too disruptive. And so then you've opened the door. Then it's just a series of, uh, more, uh, announcements that, oh, okay. Well, um, you know, contact is being made with some of these groups. We're communicating with them, um, you know, in some other solar system. And then they can say that, you know, that actually they've arrived, that they're here. I, I think what we won't see for some time is that any admission uh, by government or by military saying, well, the extraterrestrials have been here for 70 years and we've been covering it up from you. Uh, that They're not going to admit that because that would destabilise things. What they're going to do is try and try and frame it all as something brand new, that Space Force or U.S. Space Command has encountered as a consequence of new technology that has just been brought online where Space Command has these new anti-gravity craft that allows them to go far into our solar system, has found on the moons of Jupiter the remnants of an extraterrestrial civilization. And and so that, I think that's what we can expect. That will be kind of like a leading up because I think the important thing about 
And you know, the way I would contrast the, the white hats, the Earth Alliance, with the uh, with the deep state crowd is that what the white hats and the Earth Alliance want the transition to a Star Trek future being as smooth and harmonious ones. The the dark the deep state the dark hats they wanted it to be a a very disruptive one and and full of surprises and twists and turns that would shock and confuse people but that's not the way in which i think it's going to happen i think it's going to happen in a way that's well thought out and planned to gradually get people up to speed where you begin with some announcement that extraterrestrial life is real and then you kind of and then you start releasing some advanced technology because that's going to give people a lot of confidence that, well, you know, we've got Space Command, uh, Space Force that has this really cool anti-gravity torsion field propulsion systems that enable them to travel throughout our solar system really quickly. That'll give people confidence because that's one of the key things that the military wants, that you know, they, they don't want to disclose the existence of extraterrestrial life and lead to a collapse in public confidence in the ability of the Pentagon to protect American citizens from extraterrestrial life. That they want people to believe that the Pentagon has within its resources the means to protect Americans from anything. So so they're going to roll out the advanced technology. They're going to declare extraterrestrial life exists out there somewhere. And in the process... They're going to build up public confidence that, well, you know, we've got these really cool space technologies that Space Force is deploying and that Space Command is using. And and, and then I think you're going to have an acceleration of announcements that, that uh, extraterrestrial life is very real. And they're going to say that, yeah, we've made contact. Contact has recently been made with this Galactic Federation. In terms of rolling out the technology, I mean, if if we're dealing with spiritually evolved entities here, um, it's hard to imagine, though, that they could sit back and watch people, you know, suffer from cancer and all sorts of different diseases and, um, you know, famine and starvation. Uh, what I mean, what is the timeline for, for why aren't they rolling out this technology uh, like now, yesterday? And, and what types of technology are you hearing about? Well, there are advanced technologies, healing technologies that are being developed. Uh, that these are being prepared for mass distribution um, once there are some major disclosures uh, that that happen. I, I think that the only roadblock at the moment is this kind of Davos crowd agenda, that these minions are, are doing everything they can to disrupt things. Now, one of their big sources of revenue is the pharmaceutical industry. And the pharmaceutical industry has prevented a lot of these advanced technologies from coming into the public arena. I mean, mean, you only have to look at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office and and know that uh, almost 6,000 patents have been withheld under national security orders by the different intelligence um, uh, organizations in the United States. So that's 6,000 inventions that the majority of those deal with things like and healing that have been suppressed because some corporation or some uh, intelligence group says that this is uh, something that would threaten national security if we release this into the public arena. So this is what's been going on for going back to the time of Nikola Tesla in the early 1900s. 
So these advanced healing technologies have been suppressed because of the power of the pharmaceutical industry to shut down people and to uh, twist the curricula and the research priorities of universities. I mean, every university um, in the in the major country, I mean, uh, pharmaceutical industries have penetrated them where professors are given grants to do studies on, you know, this particular cocktail, healing people and that. And anyone wanting to do, well, you know, well, what are the benefits of herbs or kind of like uh, juicing or um, uh, kind of electromagnetic healing technologies? Those things are blocked uh, from any kind of research grants. If you try and write a paper uh, for a peer-reviewed journal, the editors will block you from doing that because, you know, you get funding from the pharmaceutical industry. So in some, someone will lean on you and say, no, you can't publish that paper. It's unscientific. And so that's so that's why these advanced healing technologies have been withheld for so long. So the, the whole pharmaceutical medical uh, complex is is corrupt to its core, and it, it has to be changed tremendously. And and doctors' curriculum needs to be changed incredibly quickly as well, because you know they've they've just been trained to be the bag man or the middleman for the pharmaceutical industry. So it's uh, Star Trek. Here we come, and um, I'm not sure. We don't know exactly the uh, you know when that will will arrive, but uh, it's going to begin in earnest in terms of gradual disclosure in 2023. Uh, Dr. Michael Sala, thank you so much for hanging out for the last two hours. It's been a pleasure, Richard. Thanks for having me. Exopolitics.org and Galactic Federation Councils and Secret Space Programs. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Subscribe at strangeplanetpodcast.com.